Scene 2. War Never Changes Township of Salem in the English Duchy of Massachusetts Bay, Woden's Day Terse, Morning, 3rd of May, 1284, Holy Rood Day, Crouchmas. They travel by day on a horse-drawn wagon, and at night they load horses onto the wagon and let Sir Balrock pull the harness. After another week of journeying, the party of adventurers reaches the township of Salem, the seat of the Holy Office of the Inquisition of Vinland. Benjamin Franklin holds one last huddle to make sure the plan is clear in everyone's mind. Relying on his dark elf Whoopi to translate his words into Drowish, he says, Princess, thank you for your cooperation so far. I'm glad this is working out for you. Ariel has a replica of the Sword of Laban, which the hill dwarves of Camorra forged for us after we left Rochester. We won't be able to fool the High Inquisitors with a fake sword because of their prophetic gifts, but right after presenting the real Sword of Laban, Ariel will switch it out using sleight of hand with the fake one. If that fails, Whoopi will swap it out using magic. Sir Balrock has been very useful so far, but the downside to having an undead giant in our company is that he won't escape the notice of the guards at the city gates. He'll have to stay here. We'll use this place as a rallying point to fall back on in case of an emergency. Princess, please make sure he knows he is supposed to stay put right here. If we get caught outside the residence of the High Inquisition with an undead thrall, yeah, I don't even want to think about it. So I'm only going to ask this once. Can Sir Balrock obey orders and stick to this spot? Confident, Florence replies. He can. When he hears Whoopi's translation, Franklin snaps his fingers. Good! That's what I like to hear! Monsignor Meyer, you will come with us to lend a veneer of holiness to our group. Meanwhile, Willis, here's a few pennies. Take Whoopi and the princess to dinner at the tavern called the Leaky Carvel, my friend. You'll find it down the road on the right from the High Inquisitor's residence at the Holy Office headquarters. Princess, once we get the real sword back, you're free to head home with the Sword of Laban. Any questions? No? All right, let's move out. Almost from the first moment, the plan falls apart. Benjamin Franklin, Ariel, and Monsignor Meyer approach the Holy Office headquarters, and the security measures are about triple in size and scope of what Franklin was expecting. A Swiss guard patrol snags them from behind and interrogates them. Who are you, and what's this tramp doing here with you? Benjamin Franklin turns around with a patient smile and says, Good evening, dearly beloved brothers in Christ. We are friars seeking an audience. The Swiss guard interrupts. Dolts, this is the precinct of the High Inquisitor's residence. No women. Assessing the official heraldic markings on the patrol and unbending expressions on their faces, Benjamin Franklin quickly calculates the most likely outcomes for various responses that come to mind. And he says, we are grievous sinners, and we have been told that only one of the High Inquisitors in person can absolve us from our unspeakable crimes. Can you point out to us the way? For starters, you have to show proper penitence for your sins by dissociating yourself from the company of women. As casual as can be, Benjamin Franklin turns to Ariel and says, My dear, treat yourself to some dinner at a local tavern. It seems this will be our last conversation before we enter the life of righteousness. She shrugs her shoulders and heads off, still carrying both the fake and the real sword of Laban. Immediately, Benjamin Franklin realizes he made the right call. The patrol leader escorts him to the High Inquisitor's residence himself and calls on the captain of the Inquisitorial Household Guard to receive them. The captain comes out with a halfling master thief who pats them all down. No way would they have gotten away with the old switcheroo in front of a guy like that. The captain looks like he is ready to have them all locked up in the stockade. He shouts, You gentlemen have guilty looks on your faces! 
Benjamin Franklin smiles as if the captain were his long-lost rowing buddy from the Cambridge crew team and says, Tell the High Inquisitor that we are very guilty indeed. We have stolen from the Templars of Rochester and have come to do penance. Come back in the morning. The Holy Office closes after Vespers. Let us say that restitution for our sins must be made immediately. The captain folds his arms. I said tomorrow. Tell you what, Captain, we'll be on our way. We'll come back in a few days after the High Inquisitor has executed you and made his choice about your replacement. In the meantime, we're not going to guarantee that we will be able to return the object we stole so iniquitously from the Templars. I can only guarantee you that the High Inquisitors will be furious with you when they hear they missed out on this opportunity to get it back for the Church. The Captain stares at him, trying to assess if he is bluffing. He asks the Master Thief, What have they got of value on them? These guys are used to play acting and they have nothing of value on them, but that doesn't mean they're bluffing. If they had something truly valuable, they wouldn't be carrying it on their persons. If I were on the beat, my instincts would tell me to follow these guys around for a while. They'll eventually lead us to something extremely valuable. The captain huffs. Wait here till I get your story checked out. What's your name anyway? Mr. Silence Duguid. The captain goes in and comes back out a short while later. He says abruptly, Walk this way. The captain leads Benjamin Franklin and Monsignor Oscar Meyer inside, with four guards surrounding them as if fearing them to be assassins. They walk through hallways, paneled and carved wood, with scenes from Greek and Roman mythology. Not all of them are as pious as one might presume for a residence of clerics. The guards open the door to a dining room with a long table capable of entertaining a large number of guests. Instead, there are only three men seated— one in a large chair, the next in a middling chair, and the third in a small chair. From their cardinal's robes and obvious family resemblance, Benjamin Franklin does not need more than one guess that the three men facing him are the cardinals Orsini, the three bearers of the holy office of the Inquisition in Vinland. They are eating a meal. The shortest of the three, Piccolo Cardinal Orsini, seems the friendliest. He says, "'Ah, Mr. Duguid, so kind of you to pay us a visit,' Please, you and your friend are welcome to join us for supper. Any good news? Benjamin Franklin takes a seat, unfolds a napkin, and places it on his lap as if he ate here every night. He says in his most charming voice, Good news indeed, your eminence. The Templars have once again proven themselves reliable bankers. Your Rochester refund is ready and awaiting your approval. The serving boy brings him three dishes. One is piping hot, the other is cold to the touch, but the third looks and smells deliciously warm. Benjamin Franklin indulges in a nice, warm bowl of porridge. The biggest of the three brothers, paternal Cardinal Orsini, puts on a sour face and says, That is not the way we understand it. We received an urgent message by Pony Express from the Templars that the bank was destroyed by black flame, and nearly all the valuables inside turned to glass and shattered. Our investment was lost. Benjamin Franklin pats his lips with the silk napkin and says, Your Eminence, the line nearly all is the most important one to take away from that brief. Since the Templar clerks were being less than reasonable with our honest request, we took liberties with the quest details and found a way to recover for you what is rightfully yours. It's not a sin to steal what belongs to you in the first place, is it? As for the black flame, it's not our fault the vault lacked a proper sprinkler system or, um, flamethrowers to put it out. The middle brother, Moderno Cardinal Orsini, joins in. Not at all. 
The captain of our guard informed us you claim to have something special for us. Our lore masters and a few monks with special gifts in these matters would like to examine it. Where is it? Benjamin Franklin gulps down another spoonful of delicious porridge, then leans back and says, Nearby, your eminence. Before we get to that, may we discuss the reward you had offered my patron? It would be foolish of me to deliver the goods before making sure that no misunderstanding of the quest reward should inhibit our working relationship. After all, my patron went to great expense to hire an adventurer of my caliber for this quest. At this late stage, it's not my policy to bungle it for him. Instead of responding to this kind of petulance, the three Orsini brothers begin to pray. They open their eyes, and Moderno Cardinal Orsini says, The gift of prophecy is telling us that the sword of Laban is not far away, and also the girl. What girl? asks Benjamin Franklin, putting on an innocent face. Goldilocks. The Templars apprehended her when she was trying to collect the sword, but she escaped to the wreckage. No doubt your handiwork as well. The name does not sound familiar. The size of a child, blonde, curly hair. Please do not delude yourself that you could get away with lying to us. Even a low-level cleric could use the gift of prophecy to see through a flat-out lie like that. Benjamin Franklin strokes his chin and looks up into the air as if thinking intently. Familiar, then, is probably not the best term. Yes, indeed, we found a dark elf there, but she is not a child and she does not go by that name. She identifies as a princess. Paterno Cardinal Orsini says... Play all the word games you please, Franklin. Just deliver us the sword and the girl. Life is always simpler and less painful when you cooperate with the Inquisition. Benjamin Franklin measures his words carefully. He cannot get away with lying to such powerful clerics, but he cannot tell them the truth either. Too dangerous. He says with deliberately constructed wording, The sword of Laban is in the possession of some of my associates who are waiting to hear from me that you are going to uphold your end of the deal for my patron. As for the girl we rescued, I have a feeling she is not far from here, doing everything in her power to recover the sword of Laban for herself. Moderno Cardinal Orsini says, Perhaps she has tempted you to betray us. Benjamin Franklin holds up his hands and says with a defensive chuckle, Every day I pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. Paterno Cardinal Orsini says, Stalling is futile. Our household inquisitors will easily locate them. The holy office of the Inquisition is not just another faction. It's the mother of all factions, and we can destroy your reputation across Vinland. You'll never receive another quest from anyone again if you so much as think about double-crossing us. Benjamin Franklin does not flinch at how easily their prophetic gifts cut through his schemes, and he immediately goes on the offensive. Speaking of double-crossing, we must discuss my patron's new status as viceroy. When will he be crowned? Moderno Cardinal Orsini says, As soon as we receive the sword and take Goldilocks into custody, you will receive a royal decree appointing the Baron of Amherst, England's crown governor-general of Vinland. He will have extensive authority, but no crown, no royal privileges, and no hereditary title. Benjamin Franklin is visibly flustered. That wasn't the deal. He was supposed to be crowned English Viceroy of Vinland. Paternal Cardinal Orsini says, We are altering the deal. Pray we do not alter it any further. We have an agent in Ithaca who described how over-eager the Baron of Amherst was to usurp the crown's authority for his personal interests. A Viceroyal crown in Vinland would tempt even the most loyal servant to declare independence from the royal crown in Mother England. 
King Eddard is an honored crusader and a friend of the Holy Office of the Inquisition. He looks after our interests, and we look after his. Benjamin Franklin leans forward and says intently, If loyalty is your basis, then you will appreciate the fact that I look after the interests of my patron. I repeat, no deal until I receive word from him that he agrees to your changes. Too late, says paternal Cardinal Orsini. Our household inquisitors have just used the gift of tongues to report that your friends are already in our custody. Benjamin Franklin replies, How do you think the people would respond to hearing that the Holy Office of the Inquisition is using black flame necromancy in its war against heresy? Moderno Cardinal Orsini laughs dismissively, saying, No one would be so bold as to believe you, not in public anyhow. Up until this point, you have handled yourself well, so it comes as a surprise that you should risk all on such a clumsy threat. However, it does seem that you are exactly the kind of efficient, loyal, and unscrupulous adventurer that we are looking for to fulfill an important quest. Perhaps we can compromise. I respectfully decline. I am actually a student of sorcery and must return to my studies. We beg to differ, young Franklin, replies paternal Cardinal Orsini. You have come this far. I regret to inform you that you have crossed the point of no return. From here on out, you will do as we say, or join the next crop of heretics being burned at the stake. This deal is getting worse all the time. Glad we can agree. Captain Ronaldo, bring Miss Sacagawea in, if you please. Right away, your most reverend eminence. A beautiful young woman with bronze skin and black eyes appears in the inner hallway. Her gentle steps and deliberate gait tell Benjamin Franklin and Monsignor Meyer that she has endured many hardships and pulled through them with great courage. Instinctively, they both stand up to greet her when she walks into the dining room, as if she were royalty. Her bearing is confident but modest, devoid of pretension, but evincing a strong sense of self-worth. Moderno Cardinal Orsini explains... A confederacy of Algonquian and Iroquian nations allied with the former Frankish viceroy Samuel de Champlain a long time ago and are not happy that the new English settlers flooding into the West are refusing to honor the treaties they brokered with the Franks. The situation is escalating rapidly and they have sent Miss Sacagawea to us as the representative of their cause. The unofficial leader of the Confederacy, Sagamore Pontiac, has written down sworn statements from a large number of leaders inviting us to send missionaries and agreeing to a military alliance with the Holy Office of the Inquisition if we help them recover from custody the former Frankish viceroy, whom they call the Great Uncle. Piccolo Cardinal Orsini says excitedly, This is a once-in-a-wife-time chance for us in Vinwind. We want you to introduce Miss Sacagawea to the Baron of Amherst and tell him how great she is. Moderno Cardinal Orsini continues. After you vouch for her, she will recover Uncle Sam and deliver him to Pontiac's confederacy. In return, we will overlook your indiscretion in trying to threaten us and pay you 30 pounds sterling for your troubles. Benjamin Franklin groans. Thirty pieces of silver to betray my benefactor? I'm loving the irony here. Moderno Cardinal Orsini says, The Lord chastises the son he loves with an iron rod indeed. We had promised the Baron of Amherst the privilege of denouncing any of his political enemies to us. We will honor that pledge and extend a custom offer to you. On that table is a signed and sealed unconditional pardon with papal authority. If you ever find yourself detained or in trouble with the law for any reason, you have only to present that pardon and you will be freed from custody or punishments immediately. 
Piccolo Cardinal Orsini adds. That's a huge gift from us, Mr. Franklin. Just think of all the things you can mess up and just walk right out of the dungeon. Besides, you can wash your hands of treason. You are not going to betray the Baron, we are. I mean, Sacagawea is. Piccolo draws stern looks from his brothers, who both shout at him. Stai zito! Moderno Cardinal Orsini says, You are not betraying the Baron of Amherst. He wanted supreme authority in Vinland, and that royal edict on the table confers it to him. He wanted the friendship of the Holy Office of the Inquisition, and he shall have it. By doing this little favor for us, you guarantee that the Baron of Amherst gets what he wants. If you refuse, we keep the sword, Amherst's title as governor, and throw you in our dungeon just to keep our little secret safe. Franklin asks, what do you intend to do with our princess, whom you call Goldilocks? Paterno Cardinal Orsini replies, She will stand trial. If we uncover any foul play, she'll be burned at the stake. If she's innocent, we'll cook something up to burn her at the stake. Get it? Cook something up? Burn at the stake? <laughs> Piccolo Cardinal Orsini joins in laughing, but Moderno Cardinal Orsini does a facepalm. When the one-sided laughter dies down, Moderno Cardinal Orsini concludes the discussion. The choice is yours, Mr. Franklin. Behind door number one is the royal edict declaring the Baron of Amherst English Crown Governor General of Vinland, 30 pounds sterling silver, an unconditional pardon for any future misunderstandings, and the friendship of the Holy Office of the Inquisition. Paterno Cardinal Orsini wipes the drip from his nose and adds... Behind door two is our dungeon. We feel confident we've already got all we need to know from you, but I do have a few techniques for extracting confessions that I'd like to try out. You could give us feedback from your first-hand experiences. Benjamin Franklin gulps. Well, your eminence, it's been a tough decision, but I've decided to go with door one. Sacagawea's Plan Benjamin Franklin stands up and bows. This has been a pleasure, really, but I must be going. Miss Sacagawea, would you care to join Monsignor Meyer and myself on a tranquil stroll through this beautifully moonlit evening? She bows her head gently. You can lay out in detail all you need from us to complete your quest as we walk, my dear. Come along, Monsignor Meyer. We have work to do for our new friends. Once they reach the leaky Carvel Tavern, Sacagawea asks, Where is your party of adventurers? Over here. Come meet them. You already know our cleric, Monsignor Oscar Meyer. This is our fighter, Willis, our rogue, Ariel, and our magic halter, Whoopi. Sacagawea looks at them. Those names sound kind of fake. Willis raises his hand. Mine isn't. Whoopi mutters. That's because it's your real name. Come on, he huffs. You keep giving it away. She would have thought it was a clever code name if you hadn't said anything. You want me to come up with a name as silly as yours? He takes a sip of his drink and says, How about we call you Heineken? Benjamin Franklin asks, Where's the princess? A wave of shame washes over Ariel's face. They took her and the real sword. They had powerful clerics with the gift of prophecy. I had no chance. Monsignor Meyer grunts, what does it matter to us? We fulfilled our quest, and now that the princess has been arrested by the Inquisition, that cancels our obligation to fulfill our promise to her. Ariel shoots him an angry look. Is that the kind of drivel you learn in your theology classes? Seeing the party about to explode in an ugly argument, Sacagawea says, 
Do not worry. I know where she is. They all look at her, astounded. Sacagawea continues. I understand that my current quest requires you to steal something from your quest giver. You are a man with a deep sense of loyalty, Mr. Franklin. So here's the deal. If I help you rescue the princess and steal this sword back from the Inquisition, will you help me rescue Uncle Sam from captivity? Deal. Ariel is confused. So you are going to steal from your patron? That's bad business in my book. Benjamin Franklin replies, Monsignor Meyer was on to something. You see, my patron agreed to engage my services only occasionally while I study sorcery at Silvermorn. Now that I have completed the quest he assigned to me, I am no longer in his service. Ariel huffs. I don't like it, but if we have to resort to technicalities to rescue the princess, then technicalities will have to do for now. I'm in. Sacagawea cuts off any further discussion. Deal. Now listen. There's no time to waste. I overheard the Inquisitors say they intend to send the sword on the next ship to Franklin. There's a dwarf whaling vessel docked at Boston, headed to Bayonne at dawn. Bayonne? That derelict port city in New Jersey? Sacagawea acknowledges Ariel respectfully and says, Actually, I was referring to the port city in the Duchy of Aquitania in Europa at the northern base of the Pyrenoque Mountains. The High Inquisitors have already sent for a messenger from the Pony Express post in Salem. If we can intercept the Pony Express rider after he makes the pickup, your magic halter can locomutate away this sword of yours. Whoopi says, Brilliant plan. Unfortunately, I'd have to be within 15 feet to get it right the first time. I could probably pull it off from as far as 60 feet, but I might just as easily flub it up. Benjamin Franklin says, Don't worry, Whoopi. We'll get you close. What about the princess? Sacagawea says, She'll be in the dungeon. There's a chimney that leads all the way down to it from the roof. It's only wide enough to fit a skinny elf. They all look at Whoopi, and he puffs out his chest proudly. You guys make fun of me for being skinny all the time, and now you see how many times I get to rescue the princesses on these quests. Willis says, You've only done it once so far. I see two problems with going down a chimney. First, we have to get up on the roof without being noticed. Second, there's usually a fire going on at the bottom. Whoopi says, Don't worry, I can work my magic with the fire. But getting past the guards will be a real problem. We case the joint and there's no gap in the patrol routes. If one false step of ours tips the guards off that something funny is going on, they'll call in their high-level clerics. We won't be able to hide from their gift of prophecy. Ariel says proudly, Leave that to me. I grew up in a castle with overprotective parents. Sneaking past guards is what rogues like me do best. With that, they commence the first part of their plan, recovering the Sword of Laban. Ariel and Whoopi jog back to the holy office without drawing too much attention. They maneuver themselves behind an empty butcher's stall and arrive just in the nick of time. The Pony Express rider is knocking on the door. Ariel says, Quick, they're handing her a package. Whoopi says, Okay, I'm doing my best. Let's see, the metal seems to be a more ancient version of steel, probably just wrought iron with a gold hilt. It'll be sloppy, but this magic word just might do the trick. Presto changeo! He waves his magic wand. Nothing happened, says Ariel. Whoopi looks closely and whispers, That pony rider's got an apotropaic charm. Ariel gasps. What does that mean? See that dream catcher on her saddle? It's made of unicorn ivory, very powerful at warding off magic. We've got to get rid of it. 
Ariel rolls out from under the butcher's stall and walks across the intersection to make it seem like she is coming from the next alley over. She staggers and sways as if she is drunk and walks up to the halfling pony rider. My family lives in Boston and I haven't got a dime. Could you give me a lift to Boston? I'm in no condition to walk. The halfling pony express locks the package in a security saddlebag and mounts up quickly. She flips Ariel a dime and snaps her reins. Ariel throws her body in front of the pony, and it rears. How about a quarter? She pretends to stumble over the spooked pony and swipes the dream catcher as she falls to the cobblestone. A guard calls out. Wait! Arrest that woman! Two Swiss guards come out and apprehend Ariel. The guard in the doorway calls to the pony express rider. Let me inspect the package to make sure she didn't steal the sword. The rider unlocks it and hands the package to a Swiss guard who takes it back inside for inspection. After a close examination from their cleric and master thief, the Swiss guard hands the authenticated package back to the Pony Express rider. No sooner does she secure the Sword of Laban back into her saddlebag than Whoopi sings out from behind the butcher's stall, Presto changeo! The other Swiss guard puts manacles, the medieval version of handcuffs, on Ariel and starts leading her inside for interrogation. Weary of trouble, the Pony Express rider gallops off into the night, while two Swiss guards head over to the butcher stall to investigate. The next instant, Whoopi displays the full scope of his virtuosity as a magic halter. Seeing his friend about to get tortured, he whips his magic wand around and chants, Mancala Hexa Hold'em! Mancala Nine Morris! Ariel's manacles are gone. The Swiss guard next to her is now wearing them. Whoopi whirls around and intones, Nafatafel, Chaturanga, Latran Clarum, Majung Bakamango. The fake sword on her hip vanishes, and the real sword of Laban takes its place. She elbows the Swiss guard in the nose and scampers off into the shadows. Whoopi turns around to dash away, but the Swiss guards catch up to him. He barely has enough time to reach into his pouch and shove a few magical leaves into his mouth before the Swiss guards corner him and take him into custody. Knowing when a situation is lost, Ariel does not stick around for the swarming Swiss guards to detect her hiding spot. As quietly and swiftly as she can, she slips from shadow to shadow until she makes her way back to the leaky carvel. Fruits of Eden when Ariel sees her companions in the tavern, they ask, Where's Whoopi? They arrested him. Benjamin Franklin asks, Did you manage to swap the swords? No, but Whoopi did say a lot of magic words before he got caught. I think he locomutated the real sword of Laban into my scabbard. Benjamin Franklin draws the sword from her hip and comments, I put a little scratch in the real one to help me tell the difference. He inspects the blade briefly. Yep, this is it. Whoopi pulled it off before they got him. Now that's team spirit. I'm really starting to like that little guy. Ariel snorts. Well, we don't just like him. We all love him because he's family. We're going back. Benjamin Franklin is too practical for chivalrous rescue attempts. Wait, we need to get the Sword of Laban far away from here before those snooping clerics start doing their prophecy trick again. Ariel argues. You might be okay with waiting for them to torture him until you work out your plan, but I'm not going to wait. As leader of this party of adventurers, I call the shots, and I say we move out now. You're just here to spy on us, remember? Okay, fine. I guess I did say that, concedes Benjamin Franklin. We'll split up. You go find Whoopi without a plan. I'll go bury the sword at our regroup point so Sir Balrock can keep an eye over it. Then I'll meet you back here. 
Ariel groans. What adventurer's guild did you train in? Haven't you heard the old adage, splitting up is the best way to turn a quest line into a horror story? It's starting to get late enough that the tavern empties. The innkeeper puts his big hands on the table and says, The inn's closing, so unless you're going to rent a room, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. It's a penny a night per person, a tuppence each if you want your own room. Benjamin Franklin hands the innkeeper a groat, but the innkeeper asks, What's this? A groat, newly minted fourpence piece. We won't stay long, but this should cover your discretion. The innkeeper eyes the coin to figure out if it is legit or not. Benjamin Franklin adds, Or we can leave. The innkeeper takes the groat and walks away. Benjamin Franklin smiles and says, Now then, where were we? Ariel takes charge of the rescue operation. Monsignor Meyer, pray and see if your gift of prophecy can tell you where they've taken Whoopi. Monsignor Meyer prays for a while, then looks up and says, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Benjamin Franklin comments, Monsignor Meyer, your piety is inspiring, but we really haven't got the time for a worship service at the moment. Did you find Whoopi or not? Had a vision, replies Monsignor Meyer. Whoopi got some magical leaves in his mouth before they arrested him. He managed to locomutate himself away before they put him in a warded cell, but he didn't get very far. He's still hiding behind a butcher's stall adjacent to the High Inquisitor's residence. The place is still crawling with guards. They're sending a group here to apprehend Ariel. We don't have much time before their clerics find Whoopi, too. Willis pounds his fist into his palm. Let's move out! Sacagawea interrupts their fervor. I'm your best chance for getting in and out of there alive. I know the butcher stall you're talking about. Follow me. Monsignor Meyer and Willis look to Ariel for her say in this. She nods and motions with her hand for Sacagawea to take the lead. Sacagawea looks at Ariel and says, We'll draw less attention if it's just the two of us. Mr. Franklin is right. You need to get that sword as far away from here as possible. I suggest the two big guys stay with him in case he runs into any trouble. Ariel and I need to go alone if we are going to sneak past all those guards. Willis objects. What if it's a trap? She works for the Inquisition. How do we know she's not going to hand us over to them one by one? Ariel swallows hard and looks Sacagawea straight in the eyes to get a sense of her motives. She sees nothing but a young woman who is an expert at masking her own feelings. After a short pause, Ariel says, We don't have time to come up with another plan. It's all or nothing. Willis, Monsignor, escort Mr. Franklin and the sword back to Sir Balrock. I'm with her. Willis hands her the party's climbing rope. The Monsignor will know if you get double-crossed. We'll come for you even if we have to raise an army. They split up and head out to face the dark terrors of the night. Chim Chimney The guard dogs are already sniffing around the butcher stall and barking. One of the Swiss guards smashes open a barrel, and they all cover their noses at the stench. Another guard kicks it over. Oozing intestines, gooey brains, dangly sinews, and stinking entrails spill across the floor. The puddle of muck seems to take the shape of a little person. Ariel tosses a coin across the cobblestones. The sudden clink-clank startles the edgy Swiss guards, and she dashes off in the other direction. It's her! One of them yells, and the rest of the Swiss guards ply their skills at parkour in chasing after her. In full armor, they display less skill than a stack of sixty-gallon steel drums. Sacagawea scoops Whoopi out of the sludge he's been hiding in, and they slink off into the darkness. When they come to a secluded spot along the Salem Harbor Walk, Whoopi whines. 
Next quest I sign up for is going to include a clause stipulating extra pay if I get stuck with all the yucky work again. Sakajuiya points to the waterfront and says, You need to get cleaned off. Whoopi is not thrilled about a cold dunk. Wait, where's everybody else? What happened to Ariel? I'm right behind you, you little stinker. Sakajui is right. You better wash yourself off. I could smell you from two blocks away. Whoopi knows she's right and takes his chilly bath like a brave dark elf. After drying off for a bit in the cool night air, Sakajuiya leads them back toward the High Inquisitor's residence. Ariel, if you can pick this lock, the attic of this house leads out to the scaffold. We can use it to get onto the roof of the residence. Ariel twirls a lockpick in her fingers and says, Let me show you how it's done, sister. Her pick does the trick. Soon they are on top of the High Inquisitor's residence. Sacagawea points out the chimney that leads to the dungeon. Still wet and feeling the evening chill, Whoopi says, It's mighty nice of them to keep their prisoners warm like that at night. She replies, I think the purpose is to heat up the hot pokers for their victims' feet. Whoopi gulps as he pulls out his magic wand. Sound like nice guys. I'm going to have to assume they'll be hard at work when I get down there. All right, give me some room to concentrate. Making all that fire locomutate from way up here will be a chore. Whoopi closes his eyes to concentrate. Then he swirls his magic wand around and sings, Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, ting, walla, walla, bing, bang. The smoke from the chimney thins out, and Ariel lets down Willis's rope. Quickly, before they relight the fire, Whoopi slides down the rope swiftly but cautiously. As he gets farther down, the bricks inside the chimney get hotter and hotter. He drops down the last few feet, singes his fingertips on the way down, and rolls out of the fireplace into a dimly lit torture chamber. A torturer and his assistant are getting two fire pokers ready, having already tied Florence to the rack. Fortunately for her, Whoopi's appearance interrupts the torture session before it really heated up. Drawing his dagger with his right hand and keeping his magic wand ready in his left, Whoopi charges at the torturers with the wild ferocity of a mama bear defending her cub. The torturer's assistant's first reaction is to swipe his hot poker at the raging dark elf, but it is a slow and clumsy weapon, and he swings wide. The torturer himself grabs some hooks with extremely sharp points attached to chains and swings one at the dark elf with deadly accuracy. The attack is spot on. The hook buries its tip into the back of Whoopi's left leg. The torturer yanks him off his feet, but once on the ground, Whoopi waves his wand, chanting, Izzy Wizzy! The hook disappears. Whoopi gets back up and runs with a limp at the torturer, who blocks a chop from the magical wand in Whoopi's left hand with the length of chain he has been holding. The torturer realizes too late that a magical wand isn't sharp. Having diverted his foe's guard in the wrong direction with the feint, Whoopi slashes the torturer from hand to elbow with the dagger in his right hand. The assistant torturer decides to help his mentor, stabbing at Whoopi with his fire poker, but the dark elf uses his small size to roll underneath the bed of a torture rack. Whoopi watches the assistant's feet carefully, and when the assistant walks by, Whoopi slashes at the back of the assistant's ankle, hamstringing him. The assistant tumbles to the floor and lands on his own hot fire poker. It hisses against his skin and burns in deep. The big baby cannot stand the pain and rolls on the floor, crying hysterically. The torturer, seeing the dark elf's skill with his wand and his blade, and the dexterous movements that took his assistant down so quickly, realizes he cannot win the match by force of arms, so he resorts to a different tactic. 
He grabs the other hot poker and holds it over Florence, shouting, If you want to see your girlfriend live, drop your weapons! Whoopi looks at him anxiously and raises both hands in the air. The torturer smiles with cruel satisfaction, reassured his ploy worked. But too soon, Whoopi flicks his wrist and trills, Jantar Mantar! Not bluffing, the torturer jabs the poker toward Florence, but it has disappeared. With another flick of his wrist, Whoopi sings, Jarumandu! The hot poker reappears above the torturer's head. He looks up, and it drops down onto his face. Whoopi dashes forward and drives his dagger between the screaming torturer's ribs, quieting him for good. Whoopi frees Florence and says to her in Droish, Hey, princess, welcome to our party of adventurers. We've got the sword of Laban for you as promised. Florence is in no mood for cheerful reunions. Immediately after her hands are loose, she sees the blubbering torturer's assistant trying to flee, grabs a fire poker, runs over, and finishes him off. Whoopi is horrified by the act of vengeful violence and waves her toward the fireplace, warning her, Okay, that's enough. Let's split before anyone comes to check out who's been doing all that screaming. Florence looks at him sardonically and says, Seriously? It's a torture chamber. People scream down here all the time. Right, let's just leave. All this freaky torture stuff makes me want to go home and unwind with a nice cup of hot cocoa. At last, she smiles. Ever heard of Kibler workshops? I'll get you a lifetime supply of hot cocoa if we make it out of this alive. Seriously, girl? You're my hero. She gives him a wink and heads into the still-hot fireplace to climb the rope up the chimney. Once they make it to the top, Sacagawea is already worried that their escape route has been cut off. It's getting bad down there. The Swiss guards are edgy, and the captain just sent someone to wake up the high-level cleric to make sure that there are no intruders left in the vicinity. We are going to need one heck of a distraction to get out of here in one piece, and we need it now. Whoopi says, Oh, don't worry, lady. Just sit back and relax. You know all that fire in the chimney? I had to put it somewhere. It doesn't take long for the smoke to start puffing out of the windows of the High Inquisitor's residence. Soon enough, the Inquisitors are racing out of the house in a panic and barking instructions to the guards. More worried about the priceless works of art going up in flames than their own safety, they instruct the Swiss guards to form a fire brigade. For an expert like Ariel, adding misinformation and misdirection to the smoky confusion is second nature, and the adventurers walk out of the vicinity, unnoticed, while the guards scramble about all around them. Sacagawea leads them through Salem's back roads and dark alleys to a house built next to the town wall. The owner is an entrepreneur who moonlights as an escape artist. For three dollars, he hoists up a ladder onto the wall after the night watchman paces past the house and lowers a rope down the other side. When they reach Sir Balrock's hiding place, their fellow adventurers greet them with warm hugs. Benjamin Franklin notices Florence backing away from the profusions of affection and switches to a love language that he knows she'll appreciate. He gives her a gift, the Sword of Laban. He asks Whoopi to translate for him and says to her, Now you see that we have kept our end of the bargain. We consider you our friend and we hope that you will count us among your friends. Please know that you can call on us for a favor in the future if you ever need anything. We just might do the same. Whoopi talks to her in Droish briefly and looks up at the entire party of adventurers and tells them her answer. She says she only needs one thing. Revenge. 